HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Domain. Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. For more information, visit DomainStorage.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and I do want to remind you that uh, I'm also the proprietor of a small wine label called Anona Wines. Um, we make organic wines in Italy uh, in a Brutzone Campania, and you can find Anona Wines at great retailers like New York Vintners and Vintry, and great uh, restaurants like The Nomad, Charlie Bird, Pasquale Jones, Restaurant Danielle, Mark Forgioni, and lots more. Um, look for Anona Wines at nonawines.com. I'm excited about our guest today. We have uh, one of the great uh, brewmasters of America. Uh, he actually maybe prefers the term CFO or Chief Fermentation Officer. Uh, we have Roy Milner, um, who runs the show at the Blackberry Farm Brewery. Uh, Roy, welcome to In the Drink. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, tell us about the Blackberry Farm Brewery. I mean, for uh, I think maybe some people will be uh, familiar with Blackberry Farm, an outstanding, uh, beautiful, large farm restaurant lodge hotel james beard award-winning place maybe a lot of people don't know that there's a, a brewery as well yeah up until a few years ago most people knew our farm from a culinary perspective or maybe for our wine program and uh that's that's a great thing our, our farm's been around since 1976 and uh there are many facets to the farm but culinary and, and wine is where we fly our flag the highest uh, I, I had the privilege of meeting Sam Bell in 2010, and we just discussed our, our passion for beverages and producing beverages. And the reality is, no matter how much you, you love great wine, you're, you're not going to make a world-class wine in the state of Tennessee. Um, but but that, didn't, that didn't mean that we couldn't produce something else. And I had a background in beer 
And Sam and I talked about our, our love for the state of Tennessee and doing something in our home state. And we just we, we kind of cooked up an idea to do this brewery and do it in a very small way. And we, we wanted to be respectful and patient with our guests to see if they were into what we were doing. And, and fortunately for us, a lot of visiting chefs and, and our guests wanted more beer. So we, we grew the program. And, uh, and now we have a, a thriving, still very small brewery. But we're selling beer in 36 states now. So it's grown a lot from just being on the farm to uh, sharing beer with our friends around the country. Yeah, well, any great wine program always requires a lot of beer to keep that uh, to keep that running. So oh, that may, I love that saying. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, well, yeah. So Sam, you know, he he took the uh, the family farm from uh, a, a small thing to a, a world class operation, and uh, he recently uh, recently passed away. I'm sorry for the loss of your Thank friend you. and partner. Um, how have how have things been going since uh, since that happened? Well, Sam was was very transparent and good about sharing his vision with all of us and we have we have a lot of leaders on our farm that have that have been there for many many years and uh the the bell family's always been very in tune mary celeste was was always a part of events and hospitality so it's been it's been a tough year but it's also been rewarding to see how people rally around the vision and everyone uh look at their departments or areas of expertise and say how can we be better how do we honor a visionary like Sam that, that really comes around once in a lifetime. How do we carry out that vision and, and be the, be the leaders that we want to be within our company. So it's, it's, if anything, I think people have just tightened down and, and try to be better at their respective pursuits. Yeah. I know anyone who, uh, who I know who has come in touch or contact with Sam at any point in their careers only had the most, wonderful things to say about about him. incredible He's incredible man. Uh, so many lives and really a, a visionary to, mm-hmm. to say to do that in the backwoods in tennessee is pretty impressive right uh, um how how does having the brewery on a working farm and uh restaurant in the hotel how does that how does that help you out and what are some of the challenges with it well, we, we benefit from having so many artisans that do different things from preservationists to cheesemakers, butchers, uh, foraging, gardeners, culinary chefs, psalms. So the, the narrative at the farm every day, we, we talk about ingredient, we talk about place, we talk about flavor. And as a brewery, you couldn't be coming at it from a more interesting perspective because we get to use all these different ingredients, especially the small batch stuff that we do at the farm. Uh, we've tried to carry a lot of that over into our production beers that see distribution. That becomes a little more challenging to get enough material. But from an intrigue standpoint, we've got so many projects going with our gardeners growing things for us, our cheesemakers washing cheeses in our beers, our butcher uses some of our beer in the in the charcuterie program, and then our chefs are constantly working our our products into tasting menus and seasonal menus so it, it, it it's really kind of a narnia situation where everything we talk about is the same things that other artisans on the farm are talking about and it's just a really nice flow of information and, and interest in each other it's well it seems like a lot of that's coming from you to them what are, what are you getting the other way are there, are you able to do use any infusions of of herbs and uh, fruit, fruits or maybe that are that are grown on the beer uh, grown on the farm yeah i would say that the, the most 
most exciting thing we've been able to bring to life in the last year or so is is all these native yeasts that we mm. harvested from our farm. Uh, we we collected 13 native yeast strains about three years ago, and we worked with a professor at Clemson University to isolate these yeasts and to, for lack of a better term, polish them so they're more appropriate for brewing. So they're not it's not spontaneous fermentation. It's collecting specific yeast strains from different mediums, fruits, places on the farm, beehives, honeysuckle, wild plants, and they all do lend their own unique character to the end product. And we, we use those in production now. So we've isolated those yeast strains. We, we have a series of beer called the Native Series, and all of those beers, we try to incorporate ingredients from our area, whether it's malt being made in Asheville, North Carolina, or sorghum from Monterey, Tennessee, or fruit from local farmers that we've supported at the farm for many years. And we'll, we'll ferment those beers with native yeast strains. So, I mean, that, that's a really cool thing that the farm's given back to us that is unique to our program. I mean, and that's incredible. And that's sort of what I love most about some of the wines that I really like, that they have a sense of place where you can, where it can't be replicated. You can't taste that anywhere else. You can buy a beer kit and make the same beer in california or new york and it'll right. taste the same but if you are using these yeasts from your farm it gives it such an identity such a unique flavor that can't be replicated anywhere i think that's incredible and, and we're, we've had a really great time with using those yeasts and figuring out how they perform and and uh, what kind of flavors and and aromatics and things that they do and it, they're all different so you kind of have to be ready for what you're embarking on now, how did you decide on um, having a Belgian style as the as the focus behind the the range of beers? I've been around craft beer since the early '90s. I started out home brewing. I, I, I had the opportunity to brew at some small brew pubs, and throughout my history with craft beer, Belgium's just always been this interesting place where there weren't a lot of rules. Uh, if you think of German brewing, you think of a more rigid style of brewing. Um, if you think I, have a, of, I have a German friend who always likes to quote the German beer purification the law. Boat. <laughs> yeah, which which is from the 15th century or something like that. It's it's celebrating its 500 year anniversary this year. Yeah, which says that beer can only be made with water, hops, yeast, malt, and malt. They didn't even know yeast existed at no. the time. It's, it's <laughs> since been added. But uh, yeah, they make an amazing beer, and I, I love German beer, but it's it's not the way that I wanted to make beer. I mm-hmm. wanted to make beer that spoke more to creativity, the artisan nature of agriculture. And the Belgians tend to throw the book out the window and say, we're going to use what we have, and we're going to be resourceful, and we may chuck some herbs in there and some fruits and put this beer on wood. And it's not to say that one's better than the other, but it's what I fell in love with. And when I met Sam and started talking to other artisans at the farm, it it seemed to be more in line with what we speak every day. And, uh, and I had the opportunity to to, to go over to Belgium and that just sealed the deal for me. It, It felt so right for what we were doing. And the Belgians also put beer on the table. If you look at the ritual of service in Belgium, every beer has its own glass, the presentations on a silver platter, uh, even in some of the most casual places, the beer is, is poured with a reverence and an appreciation that we can slow down and enjoy this simple pleasure through a service ritual. And, and, and I loved that. So it, it really spoke more to culinary 
which again, everything about Belgian brewing ties back to what we talk about at the farm. Mm-hmm. What are there new breweries in Belgium, or is it the classic, the Trappist and non-Trappist breweries? There are new new breweries is in Belgium. I would say it's one of the harder uh, places to embark on a new brewery. Uh, you're finding really really cool operations popping up all over Scandinavia, all over France, all over uh, Italy. Belgium, for whatever reason, has just been harder for people to break into because I do think that you have those revered brands that that uh, have been around for many, many years and become the benchmark of the style, whether it's Saison DuPont or the Trappist Monasteries or some of the Flanders Red Styles and, and Roselar uh, Rodenbach. So it, it, I think maybe it's a harder market. It's also a very small population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of beer, a lot of chocolate, a small population. Correct. <laughs> On that note, we're going to take just a quick break. We'll be back with more uh, with Roy Milner from Blackberry Farm Brewery right after this. Domain offers discreet and secure storage, transportation, trading, and advisory services to passionate fine wine collectors worldwide. Since 2003, they've focused on making collecting easier and more enjoyable. With over 1.8 million bottles in storage across five facilities, Domain is the largest network of wine storage warehouses in the country. Warehouses are located in Chicago, St. Louis, Metro New York, Napa, and Washington, D.C., with refrigerated shipment hubs in dozens of cities. Their service also extends to the home collector. In the last decade, the team has organized and inventoried more than 1.7 million bottles in home sellers across the globe. Additionally, Domain offers auction services to clients with small and large parcels alike, negotiates on their behalf for the best possible price, and manages the entire liquidation process. Go to DomainStorage.com to complete an online questionnaire, and someone will get back to you within one business day. All right, we're back on In the Drink with Roy Milner, um, the Chief Fermentation Officer of Blackberry Farm Brewery. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the many different styles of, uh, of beer and some of the, the new beers that are starting out in Scandinavia. I feel like, Roy, there are so many new beers that keep coming out. Um, and I love your beer. I, I drink it. I, I have it at home with my girlfriend. Uh, but I feel like I can never keep up with all the beers that are around. Do you think that the, the beer market is overly saturated at this point, that there's there's too many? and uh, Or do you think that there's still room for the many, brand, many brands to grow? That's, that's a great question. I, I love seeing the creativity and innovation. I, I don't. I don't think we are at a point where people are desensitized to what's coming out. I do think there's a premium on messaging and the why, like why is this beer this way and why are you doing it? But there's some wonderful breweries opening up. Uh, if you look four or five years ago, th- there were not even 2000 breweries in the country. Now there are close to 5,000 with 2000 more in planning. But what that would tell you is that your story better be strong. Local's not good enough anymore. Um, Quality ingredients is not alone good enough anymore. It better be about pushing the boundaries of a style or maybe hearkening back to the old world and going more simplified and really focusing on one particular thing. I enjoy it. I've, I've, I've gotten to see the industry go through many, many changes. And for me, I think distributors and retailers and consumers and producers are more engaged than ever before and talking to one another. So, but, but common sense would tell you that there's not enough real estate, whether it's tap Mm -hmm. handles or in the grocery um, space for every brand. So a lot of breweries are trying to sell direct. 
Uh, we can't ship our product to customers and guests, but you can come to us. So if you look at the Jester King or, or Hill Farmstead model, <laughs> two amazing producers, you know, now people are, are creating destinations where you, you have to come to the source. And I think that that's fun to see in America. Can small. people stop by Blackberry Farm and have a beer? Uh, not at the moment. Uh, we, we certainly have some some uh, desire to create a space where people can come by and try our beer. That, that, that's we, we people call all the time and ask where they can get our beer, and we try to send them to one of our friends or partners around the country. But I'd love to have a space where people mm-hmm. can come experience it near our farm. Now I know you're focused on like large format or I guess uh, 750 milliliter wine mm-hmm. size bottles, um, which is great. I'd love to have a meal, have cheese with that at home. I've always found that it was difficult in the restaurant setting to convince people to get a 750. I mean, not impossible. We've certainly done it before. Um, how have you been focusing more on retail? How do you, how do you look at that uh, equation? So, so much of it comes down to the particular establishment and how, how much they're willing to tell the story. I do think that even a great beer, a great story, whether it's one of our beers or or, or anything else that's out there, beer does not have the same elasticity in pricing that wine does. Wine can go from $10 a bottle to thousands, and people are comfortable with that space. I do think that beer has a ceiling or a threshold, and, and, and we've experienced that as well. But we've got great partners around the country. People have done feature nights or buy the glass pours, and, and that tends to work. But... We, we just came out with a 375 ml for that very reason, just to give people a oh, single great. serve opportunity to try the product. And we're, we're always looking at different formats. We, we, we sold more draft beer this year than ever before. And uh, it, that tends to be a space where people try a beer. It's, there's, there's no barrier. Mm-hmm. You can spend 6 or $7, try a beer if you like it, maybe go back and get it in the grocery store. Or $8 in New York. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's, that's dreaming in New York. So, yeah, it's a challenge. But with, but with the bottle, I mean, when you, how do you think of? Would you put the same beer in a keg as you would in a bottle? And if so, how would you approach that differently? Right, because the bottle, the seven fifty, I imagine, are bottle fermented beers. We, we do. We one hundred percent bottle condition everything that goes into a bottle. We do not do that to our draft beer because draft beer is meant to be consumed fresh, and in the more immediate future. Our bottled beers, we've got beers that are three, four years old at our in our vault and cellar right now that are phenomenal. Uh, some of us prefer them to when it's released fresh. So they, they are two different products, and we try to educate that one's drink now, one's drink whenever you feel appropriate, but it's appropriate to hold. Do you think? I feel like a few years ago there was a little bit of a vintage beer moment that I've, I'm – Maybe I'm not going to the right places, but I don't see it happening as much anymore. Is that still in the beer community something that people are are talking about about uh, cellared aged vintage beer? Okay, very much so. Uh, there there are some wonderful places around the country that are creating cellars of of verticals and different producers, their entire portfolio, and what ages well, what doesn't. The, the, the friends of aging tend to be beers that are not filtered. So you want live yeast in that bottle. Higher gravity beers tend to do better. Um, and, and larger format beers tend to do better. There's a yeast dynamic that mm-hmm. goes on with that 750 ml. That, um, and, and, and beers with high hop concentrations, it's counterintuitive. Most hop-forward beers, you're, you're told drink fresh to get all those aromatics. But they do really neat things with some age on them. I think I, I might hearken back to some of the lessons Sam taught me about Riesling. For a long time, it was don't don't age, don't age, 
it's not worth it. And now we drink Rieslings at the farm that are 20, 30 years old, and they're fascinating. It doesn't mean better or worse. They're just different. And really hot forward beers can do great things with some aging on them once the oxidation happens and, mm-hmm. and you get the, the flavor compounds. The hops, hops are preservative as well, right? Correct. Just Correct. like in Riesling, it has such high acidity that acid preserves it. Like if you're making a pie and an apple pie, you squeeze some lemon on the apple so right. it turn brown. It's the same thing with the acidity. Exactly. Um, oh, so that's interesting. Does it become less... Bi- I, I really, really don't like hoppy beer. Like I don't like... <laughs> I love beer uh, and I love well-made craft beer, but there's been such a movement towards how much hops can can we possibly squeeze into this beer? And it's, it's Agreed. to the point where like, I, I mean, sometimes I feel like all you smell is the hops or the, the bitterness is too intense. When, when you have those very hoppy beers and you age them, d- does it become more integrated or does that, is that always, it a, does you know, everything mellows, the bitterness subsides. Mm. Most of the aromatics, um, evolve. You don't get all that burst of, of fresh pine of fruit. They tend to mellow out. And uh, so, yeah, you, you should try some some vintage hot forward beers. They're they're pretty interesting. Okay, and what about these like beers that people like go to the brewery, wait in line for hours? Like, are any of those worth it? Like, what is there any like super like allocated rare beer that you know is really worth like seeking out if you can find it? Well, I. I Good on the breweries that have created this mystique and story around come try this. There, there's only a limited amount. That's not how I personally want to spend my time. And we <laughs> we benefit from trading beer with a lot of our mm-hmm. friends around the country. So we get we have boxes going back and forth all the time of unique things. And we do bottle shares and we trade with a lot of our guests that are into cellaring and, and building a, um, a collection. So we tend to get to try them. I think that's what's cool about bottle shares is you have this culture of people that are willing to say, instead of sitting on this and holding it and keeping it for myself, let, let's share it. The, the The community of craft beer is all about sharing and connecting. And it's fun to see a group of people get together and bring two or three bottles each. And you've got all these things that you might only get an ounce or two of, but that's enough. That's an experience. You got to try the product and you can judge for yourself if you want to go the next year and wait in line or, or camp out. But, uh, yeah, there's some really great beer out there, and and it is very limited. And I think that's one way some of those breweries are differentiating. <laughs> it's just not how I'm going to hang out. Now I know a lot of brewers uh, started as as home brewers. Um, is is that worth doing for someone who is doing it casually? I mean, should we not just better also spend your time just go out and buy some great beer that's made by a professional? Do you recommend people who are just dabbling in it to, to homebrew? I, I do. That's how I got into it. And I, I, I relate it to cooking. I have no desire to be a professional chef. I have no desire to take my knowledge to that level of understanding. But I love to cook. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, there's a visceral connection to to the ingredients, to yourself, to learning. Um, if you have a curiosity, I think cooking is a great way to explore flavor and and to build some confidence in your own skills. So homebrewing is the same thing. When you, when you understand the process and you make something that you share with others and you see what it does to them, when it makes them happy, when they're interested and they ask questions, I think the evolution of understanding the beer category and understanding beer styles, the more people that are making them at home, the more foundational that knowledge really becomes. And it provides a platform for you to enjoy 
all the other products that are out there and understand them better. So yeah, I would encourage everybody to try it. There's a great uh, homebrew store near me in uh, in Brooklyn on uh, Washington. I can't remember the name of it right now, but Washington Avenue in, in Brooklyn. That every time I go by, I'm like, I, I'm gonna learn. How, I'm gonna <laughs> stop by there, get the equipment, take the classes, do it. Um, Come homebrew with me. It's fun to do it with someone else. Okay. Like, <laughs> I've I've gotten to to cook with a lot of people that I admire and in a casual setting and nothing will inspire you more than seeing someone who can show you techniques and ways to do it that make it more fun. And, uh, yeah, so grab some, grab a friend, a buddy, even somebody from the homebrew shop. A lot of times they do demos and and go witness the process and understand it. And you'll, you'll see that it it can be a lot of fun and you're not trying to, not everybody's trying to win a gold medal in an international competition. Yeah. Just a good buddy bonding and have some fun. Uh, one last question, uh, before you, you recently did an, I think a super interesting collaboration with, uh, the brewmaster from evil twin and a partner from, uh, from Torst and you, you, you went to Benton's ham and smoked uh, smoked the malt uh, in their smokehouse. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? And if you have any, I mean, the, those that beer was was just awesome. And if you have any other collaborations coming up, yeah, that was the first collaboration we ever did. And uh, when I had the opportunity to meet Yeppy, we we talked about what what hadn't been done, and, and we weren't aware of a lot of people that had smoked hops and. I had been to Bamberg, Germany the fall before, and I was, I've always loved smoked beer, but spending time in, in Bamberg, you, you really do embrace the, the culture of smoked beer, whether it's smoked malts or um, the treatment in wood and how that, how that plays. And then in, in Bamberg, they tell the story of Beechwood, and I started thinking about different regions of the United States. You know, in Alaska, it's alder. In Texas, it's mesquite. And in Louisiana, it's pecan. Well, where we are, it's hickory. And mm-hmm. when when Yeppy and I started talking about this this idea, I said we've got to incorporate Alan Benton. You know, here's this luminary that's 20 minutes from us. That not only do you need to meet, we need to incorporate smoke as an ingredient. And to tie it full circle, one of Sam's greatest passions was was cooking outdoors and cooking over live fire and using smoke as an ingredient. So I felt like it it kind of honored Sam. It 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 it. it gave us the opportunity to work with somebody who I admire greatly and evil twin. And, and we, we both share a relationship with 12%. So it just kind of worked on how we would share the beer with people outside of our regions and tell the story of smoke as an ingredient and smoking old world hops and the beer. You can judge for yourself. There's still some out there. Uh, we didn't make a lot of it, but, but we have projects planned for this year. We'll do more projects with evil twin. Uh, we, we have something planned with Stillwater. And a handful of other breweries that are that are great friends of ours out there that I think our guests will be excited about, and hopefully it'll it'll generate some excitement in the beer community. It seems like this beer community is very like open and sharing, and it's a phenomenal place to uh, spend a, a career. Yeah, well, I, I will definitely be looking out for them. I, I absolutely love your beers. Blackberry Farm Brewery is, is fantastic, and like I said, that was a special a, a smoked beer, but just like elegantly smoked. You didn't just taste the smoke; you tasted everything together. It's so good. Thank you. All right, and thanks so much for listening. I also want to thank uh, our sponsors. Um, our engineer is David Tadashore, and Aaron Fairbanks runs the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks so much for listening. This has been in the drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.